Warriors, bold, brave, and beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us on Women to Warriors podcast. Don't forget to check out our website, womentowarriors.com. We get more information all about women warriors. Because we at Women to Warriors are all about energizing, encouraging, equipping, and empowering you, woman warrior, for your eternal purpose. So this podcast is exclusively for our tribe members. We are doing a study on Faith and Fire, Elijah, with Priscilla Schreier. This is a recorded episode of her first of the seven-week studies that she does because this is for the people that could not attend or need to review the study and we have a workbook that we also use with it. So this will be deleted October 26th uh, as well as the other episodes will come soon after as well with a delete date as well. So thank you so much for joining us warriors and I hope that you can stay bold, brave, and beautiful through this study because it's fierce, it's amazing, and oh, there's so much. I've been my own self with faith and the fire that's igniting even more so with God. So thank you so much for joining us and here you go. Right here at the inauguration of our Bible study, I want you to know that one of the most beautiful nuances that you are gonna to begin to see unfold throughout each and every week of our study together and every single time that we meet together over the pages of scripture, you're going to see this beautiful picture of an almighty covenant keeping God the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, the God who has a plan for redemption that's going to reach down through the annals of time and history, that omnipresent, omniscient God, what you're gonna see is that he wants to interact with one individual, that he wants to be seen by one individual, that he wants to be heard, that he wants to be experienced, I want to tell you that he wants to be seen by you. He wants you to hear him. He wants you to experience him. That's why he's brought you to today. And so whatever reservations that you might have, whatever cares and concerns you have about whether or not you have the capacity, the ability to hear from God and to really experience him in a fresh way, lay those all down at the feet of Jesus right now. Just open up your heart, open up your hands, and let's get ready to meet with God. in Dallas and in Dallas particularly around the holiday season there are a bunch of fun runs um, we enjoy doing them together as a family and a few years ago my sister and I did one around the Christmas holiday that was called the hot chocolate run it's a whole bunch of fun people come out at night you know we got sparkly lights on our heads or our pajamas whatever it is that you want to do just a short run in and they give you a bunch of hot chocolate at the end we took our kids you can do one mile or three miles or five miles whatever you want to do but the run goes through an area of Dallas called the Design District. Now, I've got to tell you, I, I 
have never really known a whole bunch about the design district. I know people that work there. I have been there a time or two for an event that was happening in the area, but it's just a part of town right near downtown that really is filled with people who are artisans, folks that help in interior design and decorating. And so they're all sort of pulled into this one area. And most folks know that the design district exists because there's a huge billboard right off of the main thoroughfares going right through the center of downtown Dallas that says the design district. So I was born and raised in Dallas. I've seen that huge billboard for as long as I can remember. But the hot chocolate run actually starts at one end of the design district and then it sends you on a run that is a course uh, going in and out around and through the streets that run inside of the design district. So here I am on the hot chocolate run running through the design district and for the first time I was seeing nuances and intricacies and details about the design district that I never knew existed. I'd known it from afar, I'd known it from a real high level, but I didn't know the details about it until I went through it. This is part of what intrigued me about this study. In fact, when I looked at the life of Elijah, it became the major gist of everything that drew me to this incredible narrative in the context of scripture. It's about God taking a guy through some stuff so that he could see some details about God that he wouldn't have known before, so that he could have his own strength and uh, character fortified, so that he could get a little spiritual backbone that would serve him well for the purposes that God had planned for him. That's what this study is about. It's for any of us that want to have victory, that want to have the character that God wants us to have as daughters of the Most High King, for any of us that want to make sure that we actually have the spiritual fiber to be able to stand up in an increasingly post-Christian era, well then to know some of those details about who our God is and to know some of the details about who he's called us to be, to not just see it from a high level, broad perspective, but to really see it closely, the details of who our God is and who he has called us to be, well then we gotta go through something. Elijah's gonna help us with that. This is what drew me to him. He is frail, he's human. We're gonna see that in many ways he's just like us, but the overarching view of his bravery and courage, his confidence and boldlessness, his audaciousness, his sheer chutzpah to show up out of nowhere when we first see him in the context of the Old Testament, he shows up in one of the most powerful places in all of Israel at the time, in front of the, one of the most powerful people at the time to declare the word of the Lord. He's bold and it's staggering when we see him show up on the landscape of the pages of scripture. We need to know what he went through to give him that kind of boldness. We need to know the path that God took him on, putting one foot in front of the other, one day after the other, one week that went into the next, one year that went into the next, what Elijah went through to craft him into the sort of individual that God could use like that. At first glance, when I look at um, personalities in the Old Testament or in the scriptures as a whole, when I look at personalities or narratives like this one, I'm always drawn to the highlights, you know, the highlight reel. We're always looking at the Mount Carmel's of people's experiences. I'm drawn to Mount Carmel because it was a dazzling display of God's glory on this big stage in an unforgettable way that was going to transform everybody's experience. Here we are talking about it centuries and millennia later because it was so 
incredibly staggering. Everybody wants the Mount Carmel. We want the flashy display of God's glory in our life. We want fire falling down from heaven. Everybody wants the highlights of other people's reels. So when we look at Moses' reel, we see highlights. And when we look at Jonah, we remember the highlight. When we look at Gideon, we remember the highlight. When we see Joshua and Rahab and all of these heroes of the scripture, Paul and yes, Elijah, we remember the Mount Carmels of their experience. And yet, in the shadows of these magnificent events is a process. There's always a process, a preparation that enables folks like Elijah to really get to know their God, to increase their capacity in prayer, to fortify their faith, to get them in step and in alignment with the heart of God and with the purposes of God. So when he steps foot on Mount Carmel, which we will get there, and when he is surrounded on all sides by those who refuse to discontinue being lukewarm in their allegiance to Yahweh. He's got enough backbone to keep him standing strong and standing in confidence on Mount Carmel because of the process that God took him through. So if you and I want to have the kind of prayer life that summons the fire of God, if we want to have the kind of spiritual backbone and fortitude that can stand steady, even when we have to stand alone because others are watering down the truth of our God, then we've got to be willing to go through the process with God. So here's the question that I'm asking you right here on the onset of our time together and that you're going to see written again when you join me in your study and the written materials that you have in your hand probably right this moment. Here's the question I'm going to ask again and again. Are you willing to do what Elijah did to get what Elijah got? That's the question. Are we willing to submit ourselves to the process to walk with God through, yes, some difficult stuff or things that might feel like we're a fish out of water. They might make us feel a little bit isolated and, and sometimes they just feel plain old flat out like pain or like loss. But are we willing to surrender to the plan and the purposes of God so that we can walk through that process and process and come out on the other side prepared to be who God has called us to be? God is raising up a remnant of people. He's raising you up. That's why I think we're going to be together for these six, seven weeks that we have in this Bible study. He's raising us up because he wants to send us into key positions and places to be his spokesperson. And when he does, there can't be an inch of fear on us. There can't be a droplet of intimidation. There's no time for panic or fright or dread or anxiety. There is a nation, there is a classroom, there is a courtroom, there's a university, there's a high school, there's an office, there is a neighborhood that needs somebody to rise up in the spirit of Elijah. And I've come to tell you that I think it's you and I believe that it's me. So he's preparing us even now. All the stuff you've been through, all the difficulties that you've faced, the surprises that you've had to endure, the delays and the disturbances and the detours that you've navigated. I'm here to tell you they've all been a part of the process. That even right now, as we go through this Bible study together, this right here, this is a part of the process that God has for me and that he has for you. And if we'll surrender to the seasons of our life that we're in right now, the ones you've been through, the ones that are coming in your future, as we surrender to the rhythms of life that God allows us to traverse, the difficulties and the joys, we find that they are crafting us 
They are molding us into the image of Christ and they're preparing us with what we need for the Mount Carmel's that we don't even see coming yet. It all starts in 1 Kings chapter 17. So, you know, if you have your Bible with you, I want you to actually flip over to 1 Kings chapter 17. You know, if you actually still use a Bible with paper pages like I do, or you might have, uh, you know, graduated on to the electronic version, whatever iPhone, iPad, any manner of iness that you have available to you, just get to 1 Kings 17 because I want to tell you as you are turning there that we're going to spend most of our time in a couple of chapters that are right here in this portion of scripture. This is where we first meet Elijah. So as you get there, let me tell you just a little bit about the context of where we find Elijah and this portion of his narrative situated in the Old Testament. First and second Kings are full of tragedies. Really, it's a record of the failure, one failure after another of kings who refused to honor Yahweh and a people who were increasingly antagonistic towards the things of God. It shows God's people actually being divided and turning their backs against each other instead of standing firm, united against a common enemy. It shows a time when idolatry is not just being toler tolerated and it is not just celebrated, but it's actually now being legislated. So in other words, the text that you and I are going to be looking at is basically an ancient mirror that reflects the world you and I are living in right now. And whether it's a global medical pandemic or it's crippling racial tensions that are bubbling up to the surface of our national consciousness or it's increasingly widespread lack of respect and surrender to the one true God at the top rungs of leadership all the way down to the furthest echelons of society, what you need to know is that what you're about to read in these portions of scripture, this is us. And into this chaos. God commissions an individual to stand on his behalf, to carry his mantle, to call people off of the fence line of hesitation to holy, full-on commitment, to call them on the carpet about their, their rebellion, about the systematic legislation of idolatry. Elijah marches onto the biblical landscape and goes right to King Ahab and declares the results of the people's sin and rebellion against God. He is the new Moses. He stands against royal oppression and seeks to preserve God's people. And so he shows up in 1 Kings chapter 17, standing in front of the king, and he says, Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, he says to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, surely there will be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. I want to just start right here at this one verse before we delve into the other portions of scripture that you and I are going to hit throughout these weeks together. It's just this one verse that I want to be cemented in your heart and these beautiful uh, principles to be cemented in your heart as well as we move forward because we're going to have to take our own stand just like Elijah does in this passage. So let's look at it together because he says some key things that we have to have rolling around in our minds and in our hearts and that the Holy Spirit's going to challenge each of us toward. Elijah, first of all, points out that Yahweh is his God. He's very clear, unapologetic. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't water it down. He doesn't try to make it palatable for the person that he's standing in front of. He gets in front of the highest position of power in the land, and he speaks truth to power. He says, Yahweh is my God. 
Now listen, you need to know that that is actually what Elijah's name means. Elijah means Yahweh is God. This means that before Elijah even said one word, when he was just standing there and someone whispered his name, someone said, this is Elijah that has come into the presence of King Ahab, just his mere presence and the mention of his name was enough for people to know where he stood. So before we even get into what Elijah said, can I just ask you, what is your reputation? Can I ask you that when people whisper your name, that when your name is said, especially in your absence, what is the kind of character that people think of? What is the kind of standing that you are known for? Is it that when we are not in the room, when we're not at the office building, when we are not there uh, walking down high school student, the hallways of our high school, or we're not college student in the corridors, corridors of that college campus, in our absence, when someone speaks our name, have we been bold enough? Have we had enough integrity? Have we had enough in character in our lives that even when we're not around, when people just say our names, they know where it is that we stand. Elijah's name meant Yahweh is God. And at a time when people would come to positions of power like this, they would come to uh, the king and they wanted to pacify the king. We find that out actually in other chapters in 1 Kings, most notably verse or chapter 22 of 1 Kings verse 13. We find out that, that the prophets would come or that people would come and they would stand before the king and they wanted to do everything they could to simply placate him, to pacify him, and to do everything they could to preserve their own life. Elijah comes boldly and unapologetically and under King Ahab, idolatry hadn't just been tolerated and accepted. Now it was legislated. And along with Jezebel's influence, it permeated throughout the entire land. And so Elijah had to be incredibly bold to make this declaration when he came in front of the king. He says clearly, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. Does your life say that? And then do you declare that out of your mouth? Have you gotten so used to, have I gotten so used to wanting to have the acceptance of our peers or to be politically correct that we've begun to water down this important seminal principle that a lost and dying world needs to know now more than ever before that our God reigns. He is still sitting on the throne. He still is everything that he said he is and that he still can do everything that he has said that he can do. Yahweh is God. But he didn't just say Yahweh is God. He said Yahweh is my God. Elijah personalizes it. I want to show you where he says in verse 1, not only as the Lord God of Israel lives, he says, he is the one before whom I stand. He personalizes it. He says to Ahab, I want you to know where I'm standing. I want you to know where my allegiance lies. I want you to know where I have pledged uh, the totality of my commitment and devotion. Yahweh is not just God, but I want you to know that he's my God. 
Now, what I find interesting about this is remember that as Elijah says this, he is actually physically standing in the presence of the king. Scholars don't even know how he got there. No one knows for sure how he was allowed because people weren't just casually allowed into the presence of the king. So only by divine, the divine sovereign hand of God was he even allowed to be in the king's presence, probably surrounded by the king's men at this point, um, probably having some uh, notice of the fact that his life could be in jeopardy in this moment there he stands um, not knowing how he got there but there he stands and he makes a clear dec declaration about the deity of Yahweh and then he says I want you to know that even though I'm standing in front of you physically my standing is elsewhere my allegiance and devotion and commitment is somewhere else outside of you King Ahab so really I'm standing in two places at once I'm here but I'm not really here. My allegiance is pledged to the one true God. This is important for all of us to think about because physically we are standing in so many different arenas and places and spaces where in those places we're going to have to be clear that even though I'm talking to you and I'm contributing to this process and I'm a part of this endeavor and I'm contributing my skills, my talents, my abilities, my creative efforts, I'm involved in whatever your job or ministry or organization is, I'm standing here. But let's be clear, my allegiance is always pledged to the one true and only God and if at any point the agenda of this organization or the agenda of this um, act, action actually begins to detour away from my primary allegiance I'm always going to choose the allegiance to Yahweh over and above any agenda that diverts away from the truth of my God because he is not just God but he is my God so I'm physically standing here but let's be clear, Ahab, my allegiance is always and only pledged to Yahweh. You know, um, countries have embassies. So there's, for example, the American embassy, and the American embassy is situated in different countries. It's a little bit of America on foreign soil. So if there are Americans that are traveling outside of the country, they find themselves in trouble, they've got to get as quickly as they possibly can to the embassy. That's because behind the walls or behind the gates where the embassy sits, right there in a foreign environment, but behind that particular gate, that means that the laws of the United States reign there. The policies of the United States reign there at the embassy. The people who work there on that premises, even though they're in a foreign country, behind those gates at the embassy, they are actually employed um, for the government of that is represented by that particular embassy. So the embassy doesn't change and adapt and abandon American regulations just because it's situated on foreign soil. It's standing in a physical location, but its allegiance and devotion and commitment is pledged elsewhere. So I encourage you that no matter where you find yourself standing and no matter how foreign the soil may be or how antagonistic that it may be to the things that you know are the truth of God as explained in his word or the character of our God Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. No matter how antagonistic it may be to the heart and the mind and the character of God, remember that as you are standing there, you are the embassy for the kingdom of heaven. You represent God right where he has situated you. Right there in that office, 
right there in that campus, right there in that courtroom or in that boardroom or in that medical facility, you are a representative of your home. And I don't know if you knew it or not, but if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, this is not your home. This is where you're situated for a little while. But we're on our way home and until we see him face to face, we are his ambassadors. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, I am an ambassador of my king. Elijah says, Yahweh is God. And Yahweh is not just God, he's my God. And then he says, I want you to also know King Ahab that Yahweh lives. He says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives. This is the distinction that will separate Yahweh from every other so-called God that they had positioned before them and that they had legislated now that everyone as a community and as a nation was supposed to worship. He says, let's be clear, there are many things that separate our one true God from all of the idols of the day. But the main thing that Elijah points out is this, he says, our God is alive. There is only one God who lives. There is only one God who reigns. There is only one God who can actually, literally participate in the lives of people, sustaining them, keeping them, providing for them, protecting them. There is only one God worth serving, and it is not Ahab, your impotent, lifeless idol. It is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yahweh is the one who is in charge. And he says, here's how you're going to know it. And here's how God is going to remind you that he alone is alive. Elijah says at the end of verse 1, There will be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now Elijah's pronouncement of judgment isn't him grasping at straws. He isn't just making up a judgment that sounded handy in the moment. He actually is reaching back into Deuteronomy. He's reaching back to the covenant that had been established by Yahweh when the children of Israel were first freed out of Egypt. You'll remember after 400 years of captivity, they are freed out of that ruthless, um, abusive slavery at the hands of Pharaoh and the taskmasters that he assigned. They are freed miraculously after 10 plagues that Yahweh gives to uh, free them from Egypt. And then they are taken into the wilderness where, where the Lord begins to, Yahweh begins to make them into a nation, his beloved people. He says, you will be mine and I will be yours. And he establishes a covenant with them. And in Deuteronomy 28, let me just read to you what it says. God said to the people, if you are not careful to obey the Lord your God, to observe, to do all that his commandments and his statutes, which I charge you today, then the heavens, here's the judgment, the heavens which are over your head will be as bronze and the earth under your feet will be as iron, meaning the sky will be closed and the earth will remain dry if you do not obey me and keep my commandments as, I, as my beloved people. For an agrarian society like this, that thrived based on the rain, helping their crops to be able to yield a harvest, this would have been a devastating pronouncement. Their very lives hung in the balance, and this was a direct assault against the power of the idol that they had decided as a nation to serve. Baal was the storm god. Baal was their god of choice. 
Baal was the god that under Jezebel's influence had been legislated into the, the uh, throes of their society and in the throes of their living. And so here they had set Baal before them as the god that would produce storms, as the god that would make sure that the rain fell so that the harvest that they were planting in their agrarian society would yield a robust harvest so that it could sustain the lives of them, their loved ones, their community, and ultimately their nation. So they were, listen, trying to constantly appease him in order to ensure that the sky would remain open. They thought he caused the rain. They thought he protected their crops. They thought that he sustained their lives because they assumed that he was alive. And this is why the judgment of drought was so necessary at this moment. Because not only was it a judgment against their rebellion, but it was also a specific indictment against the power of Baal. It was a spotlight on his impotence. He had no power because he was not alive. And so I've got to ask you, what are the specific illegitimate things that you've been counting on to sustain you? Is it a relationship that honestly, when you think about it, you've turned it into an idol because you're counting on it to sustain you? Is it that monetary gain that you've begun to count on illegitimately to sustain you? Is it the approval of peers? Y'all, in our social media driven society, we can get so caught up in wanting the approval of people in wanting to be noticed and wanting to be accepted within a particular group of people or in a conversation of people. Is it success maybe in ministry? You've started counting on that success to actually give you a sense of significance and a sense of acceptance. Is it religious activity that maybe you've begun to count on to sustain you if you're just busy enough, you feel like you're good enough? What is it that you have been, that I have been, inadvertently looking toward to keep us afloat? There is no idol that can sustain you because idols are not alive. Habakkuk chapter two, the prophet put it this way, what good is an idol that is carved by the hands of man, a cast image that will just deceive you? How foolish it is to trust in your own creation, a God that can't even talk. What sorrow awaits anyone who says to idols, wake up and save us to speechless stone images, rise up and teach us. Can an idol tell you what to do? It's just an image overlaid with gold and silver. It might look nice in other words, but it's lifeless on the inside. But the Lord our God, he is in his holy temple, so let all the earth be silent before him. Yahweh says to the king, and it is the declaration that you and I in the spirit of Elijah must rise up with in boldness in courage, in confidence, and in full integrity. As we are empowered by the Spirit of God, we must be bold declarers that Yahweh is still the one true God. And he's not just the God, he is our God. We are in personal relationship with him by virtue of his son, Jesus Christ, who shed his blood on Calvary for us. And our God is alive. I want to tell you um, in closing that I have been to Israel about three times or so. I've had the privilege to go over the past 20 years about three times. And every single time I go, I'm mesmerized by a new facet that I didn't notice the first time. 
There is just so much to take in. There's no way you can get it all and on any one trip. You're just sort of standing there looking at every single thing, trying to take notes, trying to listen to the tour guide because they're so wise and learned and there's so much rich culture and history there, especially for those of us who are believers in the truth, the truths of scripture. We get to see it come to life. But every time I'm there, even though there are different nuances that I gather each time, there is one thing that never escapes my notice and it compels me to literally get down on my knees every time I see it. And that is that when you are led into the garden tomb area where it is believed that Jesus' body was laid and they show you there the opening and the tomb where Jesus' body would have been positioned after he was crucified, and before he was resurrected. There is a sign on the little doorway that they have placed there right before the opening. And when you look at the sign before you ever walk in, the sign on the door says, he is not here, he is alive. I can't tell you how grateful I am and how I have never been so grateful in my life to see nothing. I mean, I have never been that excited to see absolutely nothing, but I'm so glad that he is not there because our God is alive. And even right now, with the difficulties that you are facing, with the struggles that I am having, with the nuances of all of our lives that we are traversing through, listen, I'm very aware that this Bible study has likely met you at a time in your life where, listen, you've got stuff going on. This is life. We live in the world where there are diagnoses that come in, where there's economies that take dives, where there's relationships that have breaches and struggles. I'm very aware of the fact that this is meeting you at a time where you're going through real life stuff, I want you to know that this is the hope of our salvation, that he is not in the tomb anymore. He's raised from the dead and he currently lives. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for you and for me. That means that we are never alone. So we can have the courage to rise up in the spirit of Elijah and to make sure we are his mouthpiece in this generation. As you go into this first week of your Bible study, I encourage you to dive deeply, not just into studying scripture. I mean, I hope it's in your head. We need our Bible knowledge, but don't just study it. The only point in knowing the scriptures is to come into a more intimate and personal relationship with the one who lives, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this privilege and this opportunity to launch into this study with my sisters. I pray, Father, that in these days and weeks we will share together that by your spirit you will open up our understanding, open up our hearts to experience you in such a radical way that it will literally revolutionize our lives forever. And Lord, for your glory. Thank you that you live in Jesus' name.